This is James M. Ward here, and D&D experts like myself love listening to the Save or Die podcast because I learn something new every time I tune in. You passed through the door to find a small room filled with gold and jewels and a red dragon. He starts to bring Save or Die! You can pump uh, Gagman. Pump. Pimp. That. <laughs> pump the pimp. Boom. Pump the pimp. <laughs> wow, that's I give it a 70s. firm meh. I can feel the leather hat from here, Jim. That was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> it's about as street as I can be. Word. We're back. Back in black. Save or die. Episode 120. We're here. As usual, DM Mike. And with me is the president of the Cobra Commander ACDC fan club, DM Liz. Hello. Wow. Also with me is the roadie for the Cobra Commander ACDC band, DM Jim. Just when you thought it was safe to check your podcast feed, we're back. <laughs> Ta-da. <laughs> and a special guest, the stunt double for Cobra Commander ACDC band, GM Corbett. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Normally he'd be a DM, but GM is for Dagman, so it's ah. possible. I'm so excited to be here. <laughs> See, that's why he's a stunt double. Yes. Oh. And and for anyone who thinks that it might not be, you know, plausible, just remember. Cobra Commander and the lead singer of ACDC have never been seen in the same place at the same time. And they have a similar singing voice. I rest my case. Well, there you go. All right. Well, speaking of back in black, and black is stylish, we're talking styles today. No, not fashion. Don't, don't turn off the podcast, everyone. It's gaming styles. Oh. Our different... Uh, ways of gaming, DMing, what is old school, what is new school, what is just normal, decent gaming, regardless of school. A topic guaranteed to generate little to no email response. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, we tried to have Mikey Mason on to talk about it, but, you know, just it didn't... Scheduling. You know how it is. But first... What did we do at gaming this week? Who cares? Ow! Yes? What have we been doing over the hiatus, anyway, if not this week? And we're going to start with... DM... Jim! 
<laughs> what have I been doing in gaming the last six to eight weeks? God, how long has it been? <laughs> anyway, um, I, I went to GaryCon, uh, caught the bubonic plague, went down for a week, had lots of fun. And, uh, you know, for my, I mean, Liz took some voice acting lessons, but just by way of apology to listeners, my part of, uh, you know, us not recording for so long was uh, writing stuff that's now being published. So um, just uh, do a little pimping. Um, the people who backed Metamorphosis Alpha Epsilon City Kickstarter have already gotten two PDF adventures, one of which was mine, that will eventually be part of that when it's all really released, uh, The Ghost of Deck 14. And uh, two Dungeon Crawl Classics Purple Planet adventures came out, the synthetic swordsman of the Purple Planet and the... Uh, You'd think if you wrote it, you could remember the title. <laughs> oh, Sky Masters of the Purple Planet with like air-to-air ship combat rules right in the module. Yeah, I got a copy of that. It's kind of digest sized, isn't it? Yep, yep. Yeah, conveniently fit in your box. Well, you know, you got to learn to walk before you run. Yeah. I, I hear they're going to cut me loose with something bigger later. So. so everyone, as important as the podcast is, Jim was getting paid for this stuff. <laughs> he doesn't get paid for the podcast, so... It's a work of love. Yeah. <laughs> is that what it is? Yeah. I love my work. The Van That's Geller That's why Mike effect. and Liz are doubling your salary on Saber Day. <laughs> I love my work. We should start our own Patreon. Anyway. How about you, DM Liz? Wow. Wheel. <laughs> <laughs> I did my voice acting classes. There were six of them. Um, the last class was this past Sunday, and they were tons of fun. I really do think I learned a lot, um, not just about voice acting, but also some good tips for improving my diction, um, making sure that you know pronunciation of certain words are clearer, and it, it'll... A lot of really good exercises and just fun stuff. I'd love to, I'd love to take the class again. <laughs> cool. I think you were pretty good to begin with. I like when you say "well" and it sounds like Elizabeth Montgomery on Bewitched. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good I voice could, acting. If only I could do the nose wiggle. Uh-huh. Well, then you might end up in Puritan Salem, and I, I none might, of us want that. But... You know, I tried to do the the whole tab of the thing and, you know, wiggle my nose with the tip of my finger. And it's like, no, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. So that's not really gaming, but that was something that I've been doing over the past several weeks. I have been doing a little bit of gaming with our regular gaming group that meets on Saturday. We went to the latest North Texas Minicon at their warehouse just a couple of weeks ago, and we played some Metamorphosis Alpha that Bad Mike ran for us. Badger, 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 So that's about it. Doing some Castles and Crusades with the regular gaming group, Metamorphosis Alpha at the Minicon, and some victorious playtesting with Mike, and that's <laughs> that's pretty much it. That's that's my gaming stuff. And in Metamorphosis Alpha, we fought badgers, so yeah, yes. that was the, the badger thing. As you do. Yeah, oh, as, yeah, as, yeah. sooner or later. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's got to be mutant animals at one point or another. It just, it's a given. About the only thing I'll add is I've been writing my Victorious books. I got Phantasmagoria, the gallery book, and uh, the Hunter and Hunter catalog done. Ironically, the 
Manifest Destiny and Rule Britannia books are only waiting for me to trim them down. I got too much material. You fiend! Yeah, I know, right? Yeah, imagine that. Using history history to your advantage? Yeah, I'm afraid so. (laughs) Unfortunately, I connected a lot of the stuff together, so it's like, well, if I cut this out, I need to rewrite this section because it no longer says, see, page, blah. (laughs) That's going along. And I guess the gaming thing, since I didn't feel up to running CNC this weekend because I was still writing, uh, Chase got back into the DM chair to run a one-shot of a 2E module called Reverse Dungeon, which we got to play a bunch of goblins defending our lair against murder hobos. Ooh. So that was fun. That was a lot of fun. (laughs) Did you you get your Bree arc on? Oh, I did. Um, And I only lost one of my three goblins. So... Yeah, we started with like three goblins, except Liz and Preston, because they were playing the shaman and witch doctor, respectively. So they only got one character. Yeah, and um, a quick shout out to Thessaly Chance, who you can find on some of the old school gaming forums on Facebook. Uh, she plays a lot of Monsters, Monsters, um, the Tunnels and Trolls you know, rule set where you're playing monsters instead of regular PCs. I know her from Facebook. She's a Kentucky girl. Anyway, um, (laughs) she runs a lot of Monsters and Monsters, and a lot of times she will talk about the campaign and what she did to her players and, you know, how they, you know, handled the regular adventures that she did. Well, one of her NPCs is this monster character with the incredibly awesome name of Granny Gristletits. And I loved that so much, so I made that the name of my goblin shaman character. So, uh, when she shout, said, out, shout out to Thessaly. I used Granny for, for my own for this, and it was awesome. <laughs> and people were almost falling out of their chairs laughing so hard when she... She told them the name of her character. It is the best name ever. And then Preston had to try to one-up you with his Papa Fatback. <laughs> but I don't think he quite did it. Admirable effort, but not quite. Uh, my characters were Guinea, Mugwump, and JLo. <laughs> I'm speechless. I have yeah. no response. I, it was awesome. <laughs> I'd mentioned Tim's characters, but they're not safe for family podcast they're not safe for work at all (laughs) you could tell us but we just have to briarch it out yep but he did uh but thanks to him we ended up murdering a halfling at a farm and stealing his chickens by the way sleep spell best thing in the world when you're trying to steal chickens awesome and and preston's character nearly got killed by a goat (laughs) yeah one of the goats didn't go to sleep only one of them and then he just tried to go stab it and it Beat him to death, half to death, and it was dude. Good. I grew up I in swear. rural. I I grew up in rural Kentucky, and you don't want any part of an angry rooster. I mean, <laughs> oh I, yeah, I, 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 I take a first level magic user right down. Oh <laughs> yeah, I I re- helped raise chickens growing up, and I just uh you uh, hate <laughs> run <chickens>. away <laughs> hate chickens. I swear, goblins really need their own little role playing game all to themselves, just like uh, kobolds ate my baby or any of those the. They're just Fat too fun. Back, the role-playing game. <laughs> yes. 
Well, there you go. Something else to work on, Jim. Get to it. <laughs> Kickstarter. <laughs> well, what have you been doing recently, Corbett? Um, actually, I was doing a show with you last. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> you didn't mention, actually, that you were on our show. So, well, yeah. I figured you would. But well, you were actually on three shows though, three not just ours. We uh, we did Tomb of Tomb of Hoas, the yeah. uh, with a the evil duck. So we know how evil Sarah ducks Quack. be. In. <laughs> it was quite foul. Um, <laughs> lots of pretty bad puns. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it got awful. <laughs> but it's it's the gag man way. We I like to think of us as the Ed Wood of gaming, but we're really more like what Ed Wood is to NASCAR to gaming. So. <laughs> By the way, I like the Law and Order openings that. <laughs> that was pretty. Well, cool. I, we had so many segues before we actually got to the show. I, I really wanted to keep those because they were fun and and some of them were dumb, but they were insightful moments with a good pun or a joke at the end, and like those are great, but they don't really pertain to anything. So. That'll be the pre-show, and then the other show, separate. So, <laughs> so yeah, we were on Nerd's Eye View um, over at Astronet Radio, um, and I had a little book review on the Classic Traveler podcast, Behind the Claw, over the hiatus. So, I was joking. I think we've done more po- actual podcasting over the hiatus <laughs> than, we, than our Save or Die schedule, honestly. That was a good book review you did. The audio editing on it was excellent. Oh, okay. I That's uh, Felbreth Napoleon Harriet's entirely. I just sent him a, the raw footage. So, But yeah, no, it was, it was a nice little... It was almost like we were on tour. It's kind of cool. DM Mike on tour. And DM Liz. Although you weren't in the book review, so... No, I was not. No. She was there You're- in spirit. You're really eroding my whole excuse that I wasn't the sole reason we haven't done an episode in weeks and weeks. Well, not really, because for the Gagman thing and for the Nerd's Eye View thing, I did not have to take any time to do any kind of review for either one of those. Well, I've looked through um, Tomb of Horrors beforehand, but neither one of those took place on Sundays, which was, you know, when my voice classes were. So that helped. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, generally it's, it's, we do a lot more research on this podcast than say Nerds Eye View. I mean, we were just getting on there and answering questions. There was no prep at all there. So the only one we prepped for was Gagmen, really, and just reading Tuma Horrors, even though was, that was one E. I was just trying to be funny, man. Oh, okay. <laughs> So do you feel like all that prep was kind of a waste of time considering the way it went? Or (laughs) I did expect us to actually review the module more, I'll I'll be honest. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) Other than it was kind of a thing between Dave and I arguing over old school and new school. Though that inspired me for the for the topic of this episode, the gaming styles. So Aren't you suggested? Sorry. Yeah. Aren't you just to completely ignoring the show notes by now, Mike? Uh, <laughs> at least. Well, that's a good point. So, speaking of show notes. Get down, get down. Get down, get down. The Save or Die email hot tub time machine. Come here, you 
scrumptious little beauty. Here I go once again with the email. Every week I hope that it's from a female. Oh man! Do we have any emails, Liz? Yes, we do. We have quite a few emails. Um, Not as many as I thought we would, but I guess the fact that we haven't actually done any episodes for a while has helped. (laughs) And we we cleared them all out. And we did clear them all out before we did our hiatus. So we at least tried to clear the decks before we stopped for a while. So our first email is from Robin and Crystal. And Robin and Crystal write, Dear DM Liz, has DM Mike ever given a five dragon review? <laughs> if so, then what product? Well, bah. I had to think about this for a while. Me too. I Yeah, I asked Mike. He's like, do you remember doing it? And it's like, you know, I'm not sure. But um, there was one I nudged you from 4.5 to 5. I can't remember what it was. Well, I'm pretty sure... He did give five dragons to John Peterson's playing at the world. Yeah, I did. Um, and maybe the 4.5 to 5, that might have been the um, lesser known Whisper and Venom. I think it was. Because I'm pretty sure we all gave that pretty high marks when we reviewed that box set. I think you're right. And Mike, your five dragon ratings being so rare, that being one of them, and... Frog God Games just buying lesser-known games, maybe that was because of you. You yeah. are the power! <laughs> yeah. Maybe you Where's my commission? Tipped, you know, pushed it over the edge. Because <laughs> yeah. obviously the Frog God guys listen religiously to Saber Time. Oh, sure, sure. Sure, sure, sure. But yeah, those are the only two things I can think of that would have been Five Dragon or possibly Five Dragon reviews Actually, from Mike. I, I... I think I remember a show, I can't remember what the product was now. It was about the, a, a game world where you're trapped on an island and all the rest of the world has gone to evil. And I, I think, I remember Mike really liking that one. I, well, actually, all of you really liking it. Oh. I'm like totally blanking. I can't remember. Red, something with red in the title. Oh, I'm losing it. Oh, uh, red, uh, what, red waves? Red I, box. I just, red box. Uh, <laughs> Probably Redbox, but but no, no, no. It was. Uh... I'd known Mikey Mason was going to give a one. I might have given a five. <laughs> <laughs> Offset it. I remember that was the neat part of the world. The, the world yeah, setting I, was. I, I the rest of it now. was all evil. The whole world had gone bad, and everybody was stuck on this like small uh, coastal island. Oh, wait a minute. Was that uh, Seven Voyages of Zalarathon? Yes. Because it was their campaign world. Yeah. Because it had a rationale. That was the rationale of how you could have really weird, wild parties where you could have like a samurai with an adventuring with a Viking, that sort of thing. Because everybody's, you know, this is the last best hope for peace or whatever. Yeah. I don't remember if you gave it exactly a five, but I know you really liked it. I remember that was one that you were yeah. just glowing about. So, so there you go. That may be maybe three. Possibly three whole items. See, oh. out of 120, that's not bad. <laughs> Humbug. So thank you, Robin and Crystal. We may or may not have answered your question. <laughs> but definitely playing at the world for sure. And I felt the eye rolls from the emails. <laughs> hey, I'll 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 
all of those five ratings have been since I joined the show. So I maybe I pushed you over the uh-huh. edge. Uh-huh. Yeah, there you go. Well, I noticed you also addressed it directly to Liz because nobody else will tell the truth. <laughs> <laughs> you can Liz trust me. On. All right. Our next email is from Erroneous Grog. And he has returned Chainmail Concepts for a four-tier monster combat table. And we will give the link to that in our show notes. But for anyone who wants to try and write it down without looking at the show notes, it is briark.org forward slash heresy dash article dash alternate dash fantasy fantasy dash combat dash rules forward slash. Yeah, it's a weird one. It's it's certainly different. Um, I don't think I'd use it, but it certainly did get some very spirited discussion going on the OD&D Guild. What do you mean by spirited? (laughs) Statistics. (laughs) Lots of statistics. He means positional arguing in which the person's belief system is tightly woven into their self-image, and so anything that's disagreeable to them is an insult to them. Basically. And statistics. And statistics. So all the math you can eat, go on over. (laughs) Um, He says, I hope you enjoy the article, as I irreverently take a poke at some of our most cherished assumptions. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm like you, Mike. I might not use this, but I damn loved reading it. I love this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Where they just like take take it all, like strip the engine all the way down to the block and rebuild it yeah. a different way. It's nice. Yeah. And I seem to recall as like magic users getting as many hit points as fighters in this new combat system. It's like, wow. Yeah, see, that's okay with me. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> For us playing magers, that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> means like I won't be killed by a rooster. <laughs> Probably. But yeah, I I love how when you go to when you go to it, you know, in the top tab of your browser window, it says heresy article. <laughs> you know? Yeah, he makes no bones about it. Right out the gate. So anyway. Anyway. Check it out. Check it okay. out. Lots of fun. Lots of fun. <laughs> uh, next, DM Robin writes, "Hello again." DM Mike was concerned about why players didn't get down in those rat tunnels beneath Tegel Manor. Tegel Manor. Tegel Manor. Tegel, Tegel Manor. I, <laughs> I am so used to saying it, Tegel. Tegel. And even yeah. though Bob Bledsaw has corrected us, like Tegel Manor. Okay. Why players did not get down in the rat tunnels beneath Tegel Manor. There is a teleportation zone in one of the first few chambers that send them there. Or at least one. <laughs> Well, we never got that. (laughs) So, (laughs) ha-ha! Yeah, unfortunately, with the way Mike had put us into Teagle, um, we didn't start out at the front door. Well, you started in the center. Yeah, we we were randomly placed elsewhere, and so we never got near those teleportation zones. Yeah. Uh, So, but... The bowling ball that killed my character, that was obviously more than enough for me. <laughs> As opposed to the earlier game when y'all were outside, and instead of going in the front door, you hey, let's go clear out that tower first. Yes, and then use it we're as like, a base of operations. We're second and third level. Uh, 
that's where the 20th level ledge is. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well. But I can't tell you that. <laughs> oh, well. So, very good point, Robin. <laughs> Thanks for bringing that up. There is a way. All At least right. By themselves. And then it's really <laughs> fun when you can isolate a character from the rest of the party like that. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Lots of fun. Keith then writes us, um, regarding episode 118, I remember one of you saying in old computer RPGs, you only got one character and they didn't want force restarts of the game. Old school computer RPGs were mostly party-based adventures. God stats are a good idea, but so is the idea of making avatars based off their stats, especially for PCs encountering them. True, especially if you're going to run City Today, the Invincible Overlord, with Balder the God running a bar. I th- actually, I I sort of remember that conversation. I think the po- the type of games we were talking about were games like Zork or um, Pyramid. Games like that, the text-based games, you were always just one character. (laughs) I go east. I go west. I pick up sword. Hit troll with axe. Yeah. Not the later... Those were great games. I was going to say, even the Atari game, you know, the one where you go into the castle. Yeah, adventure. You're just this one guy. Mm -hmm. And... Yeah, I think what he's thinking about... Oh, they're about great games of- until you get stuck and can't figure out how to get the damn ba- babel fish out of the machine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I haven't played that one in forever. That was and a great we one. won't even mention Leather Goddesses of Phobos. I never got to play well, that Well, those one. had pictures. That was the Sierra games, wasn't it? Mm, I think so. I remember I seeing ads for them in you know, various magazines, but I never did get to play Leather Goddesses. Just, that was the King's Quest line, or part Not of the. Not nearly as fun as it may seem. Oh no, no, I'm thinking Leisure Suit Larry. Sorry. Ah, uh, okay, yeah. <laughs> but Leather uh, Goddess, yeah, it was text, wasn't it? Corbett, yeah. you're older than you look. <laughs> Those are good stuff. But yeah, they I think he's awesome. referring to older computer games like from the mid '80s, like Fantasy, hmm. Bard's Tale, that sort of thing. I gotta admit, I never played a single one of those. Yeah, that was the one where at night the the town became a dungeon. It's like, it's your base of operations, and it's a dungeon. (laughs) Anyway, hope that clears that up, Keith. (laughs) Alrighty, and our last mail, which is a fairly robust one, is from Sasha Davies. And Sasha writes, Good day, Savies. Good day. I've recently discovered your podcast and wanted to write in to express my appreciation. Working my way backwards from 118, now to double digits. Picked a few earlier that were choice, like 13? Yeah, episode, uh, number 13. episode 13. Okay. She was cherry picking, you know, not rather than going chronologically, she was also getting cherry picking some of the more interesting ones. Mm. So, which was over before Lost City. Um. She says, we play a mix of 1E, 2E, BEC, plus anything else that catches us. It's been great to be reminded of some of the fine TSR publications and others less known over on our shores. Only 2JG here, not well known down here. JG Products made it over there. Ah. Or at least to her, anyway. 
Uh, she goes on to say, Games Workshop and White Dwarf had a much bigger impact here than in America. The OSR largely passed me over until recently. I'm looking forward to getting to the older episodes and modern OSR product. And yes, DCC and Victorious are high on my list of things to check out. Well, thank you. Hopefully you won't be disappointed. (laughs) One of the best features of the podcast for my children is the host gender mix. Although I've always played in mixed groups, and my kids' circles of players are split 50-50, a lot of the podcasts out there are still pretty blokey, and (laughs) some of the jokes pretty weak. Save or Die rarely descends down that path, and it's great to have a strong role model for a new generation. Thanks, Liz. Aw, thank you. It's nice of you to say we don't (laughs) descend that much. (laughs) We rarely (laughs) descend. Yeah, we still do sometimes, but we try, we try. Regarding Jim's speculations, whether the Uh series were especially gonzo, or whether it's to do with the age of the players... I suspect the latter, as we were gonzo in the early 80s, and my kids today are, though listening to RFI and SOD, restrains their gonzo-ness by giving a model of how the game, quote, should, end quote, be played. Well, I don't know about that. The 70s were a time of lots of gonzo players because rules weren't very codified. Going through the episodes in reverse order, I listened to your mailbox episodes about Redbox and Gazetteer reviews before I heard the shows. From the letters, I got the impression that you must have, at the least, performed dark rituals on or otherwise (laughs) desecrated them. (laughs) Tell me about it. On hearing the reviews, though, I think they were pretty good. The top five format is excellent, and your comments were very insightful. Maybe it helps that I have a similar sentiment about the ones I've read. I teach history at a local university, and Gaz 1 always felt like a thin medievalish veneer over a thoroughly modern society, something a lot of later campaign settings have. Done. <laughs> Conversely, I disagreed with your guest reviewer's assessment of Redbox. Hmm. <laughs> 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 Yes, he was provocative and obviously felt nostalgic. It did make me consider the Red Box set differently, though his criticisms were spot on. I'll take a review that makes me think over a review I agree with any day. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) So your reviews get 4.5 marsupial hopping dragons from me. (laughs) On the history of game on the issue of history, Mike, do you have an academia page? I would be curious to see your non-gaming publications. I didn't know until we got this email about academia page. I'm gonna have to make one. <laughs> so stay tuned. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, what in the name of all that is Skygax is a free arc? <laughs> and what in the context of your show is Taco? Thanks and all the best. Sasha, New South Wales. Free Ark has one third less calories than the regular Brie Ark. Brie Ark. <laughs> <laughs> well, you do uh, Brie Ark and I'll get Taco. Okay. Uh, Brie Ark is kind of an iconic statement for people who have either played or read the module B2 Keep on the Borderlands. 
in the rumor table, one of the rumors you can find is that in Goblin, Briark with a B means we surrender. And then later, if you're in the caves, the goblins shout Briark. That's when you find out that the <clears throat> spoilers, by the way. <laughs> that's when you find out that Briark doesn't mean we surrender. It's more the hey, nearby ogre, we'll give you a bag of treasure if you'll come help us kill these adventurers. So Briark is just kind of a a, a shorthand term for classic D and D fans. Like Erroneous's, Erroneous Grog's uh, website at briark.org. Ah, nicely done. Uh, Taco is just shorthand. Uh, since this is supposed to be a show about classic Dungeons and & Dragons, and we often wonder, Mike, DM Mike, being the head host and a natural-born hard-ass, likes to... <laughs> ah! Likes to guide us. And after many times of saying, um, that's a completely different system but you can play what you want. Uh, I think we just started breathing it to Taco, which is, that's a completely, oh, never mind. Never mind. Anagram. <laughs> and, of course, if you've listened to the show, about half the time when I do that, it's with sarcasm, because, like, when we talk AD&D, because, as we all know, AD&D is a completely different game from classic D&D. Well, we we talked about this on the Gagman actually, and I thought I thought you had always related it back to Thacko as a shorthand, funny way of saying they're all the same because they all no. use Thacko. No, actually, so. actually, the its complete origin is one of my game. Uh, the guys in our game uh, would always use it when he didn't know anything to say. He'd just say Taco. Yeah, that'd be his catch-all word. When in doubt, and, Taco. When in doubt, say Taco. taco. Plus, sometimes after a jewel heist, I just feel like a taco. Well, yeah. Yeah. Who doesn't feel like a taco? <laughs> <laughs> Soft taco or hot taco? Any oh, taco. Crunchy. Hard. <laughs> Soft tacos are for yuppies. With their Starbucks? Anyway. <laughs> All right. Well, we appreciate the emails, and we're even keeping relatively ahead of them. I think we've only got one other and a voicemail that we'll move over to next time. And if people do want to write us, where would they e write us? DM Liz. Saverdiepodcast at gmail.com. Or our voicemail line at 940-536-3763. I think that was our first email from New South Wales. That's kind of cool. Yeah. That is cool. That is really, really cool. Yes, we are international now. Other <laughs> you just can't. Well, just other than just Canada and the UK, <laughs> which just. nothing just about our fans from there. It's just we expect to hear from you know. If you're gonna, yeah, of course there are gamers in Canada. There's gamer gamers in the UK. You don't often hear about gamers in Australia. That's cool. And she's a history professor too, which is even cooler. All right then. Well. Unless we have anything special to talk about uh, beforehand, we will take a break and then talk about game styles. What are you doing? It's game time. I think I play too much. People say it's weird. We should cut back. That's insane. Game, Mrs. Hudson, is on. Okay! Game on! Game on! Game on! Invite Santa! Game on! 
Game on! Here we are going to talk about game styles from a player's perspective. And, as expected, this part of the show will be run totally by Corbett. What? <laughs> uh, I was waiting for the noise of panic to come from his direction. I should know better having to deal with <laughs> Gagman, guys. Lieutenant, <laughs> you're up. Nothing's going to phase him. But what was the name of your victorious guy? Lieutenant something. Lieutenant Victory. <laughs> but uh, anyway, gaming styles. Um, we kind of got talking about it a bit on Gagmen when Dave and I had a spirit, spirited discussion about how games played and back in the day and how they are played now. And I'll try to just sum this up. Corbett, throw in if I forget anything. But basically, we were talking about Tomb of Horrors. And of course, that came from the tournament adventure, The Horrible Tomb, which was run at the First Origins in 75, I think. 75 uh, or 76. I bet you were talking about that guy's article about how it traumatized him as a 12-year-old. John Wick, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes, we were. John Wick presents. Which is totally oh. awesome. If I've ever found out anything I wrote traumatized a 12-year-old for life, I would go. To, I would die a happy man. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a life goal. <laughs> yeah. I, and considering what he did to his friends, you know, I don't care what he was running. If he killed all their characters and they went, ha ha, you all die. I think that's why he got his face punched. It wasn't the module he was running. But anyway, the point is that I made when Dave and I were discussing it was that back in the day, in the 70s, and I'd say even the early 80s, you know, the idea of player knowledge was just as important as character knowledge or background for resolving an adventure, particularly in a tournament. And I think that's different now. Now the idea is, is far more, what does your character know or don't know? You know, or I've thought of a solution, but would my character have thought of that solution? I think that is far more prevalent now than it was back in the day. And it's a totally horrible way to play. Discuss. <laughs> well, I mean, some of what you're saying I agree with because the term metagaming didn't exist. I never heard it in the 70s or 80s. Uh, yeah, maybe the late 80s I may have heard of it. Unless At, you're talking about the company metagaming conceps. but Well, uh, yeah, yeah. I, mean, I never but heard yeah, metagaming, actually, but I, I did have a lot of discussions about your character doesn't know that. How would you know? Right. I mean, that, that came up all the time. Right, right. Mm -hmm. um, whereas in a tournament, you would never, almost never hear that. Um, I mean, I didn't play a lot of tournaments back in the day, but I played a few. Um, and it was, you were expected to use your mind as a player to resolve situations. And that is a different gaming paradigm now, I think. Now, and all humor aside, it's not a better or worse, it's just different. And I think that's something John Wick didn't really pay attention to when he was bashing Tomb of Horrors, because it 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 was had a different starting point when considering how players are going to react. Well, Massey, just a framing for the subject. Hmm. The uh, because we get into this when we're reviewing the Gazetteers or when uh, which edition is best kind of arguments come up, and we always say, or I always say. Uh, you know, you can debate game mechanics, but you can't debate playstyle preference. 
You just like what you like to play the way you like to play. And that for some people is lots of different play styles. And for others, it's, it's one kind of play style. And then it even changes as you get older. Mm -hmm. So just say that up front. We're not telling anybody you play the game wrong. If, I mean, because if you and your group are a bunch of metagaming, you know, goblins and want to play that way, why do I care? Well, I am. Jim and, and Liz and Corbett won't, but I'm telling you you're gaming wrong. Okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, Jim, I give you a one dragon for that remark. <laughs> Don't mason this review, Mike. Anyway. <laughs> uh, love Mikey Mason, great guy. But seriously. Seriously, yeah, I mean, I that's in a way, that's how I started to learn. Because, you know, as I've said many times before, I started gaming around 11 or 12 with a bunch of 25 and 35-year-old guys. You know, war gamer types. And, you know, it was... D&D &D back then was as much a skirmish war game mm. than, it is, than it was a role-playing game. You know, yeah, you had a character, but that was almost like a leader figure. And it... it the idea of what your character might or might not know in and of themselves didn't really start to appear at tables I was at until like maybe 82, 81, 82 at earliest. How, uh, how were you introduced into gaming, actually? Sorry to get all psychological here. But um, <laughs> Christmas of 78, my dad bought me a copy of the Holmes Blue uh, Basic Box set. I got it. I, it had the frickin' chits, at, which didn't help with, you know, learning it very well. But then I saw a, a ad for the Delta Area Wargamers Society that met up at the library in our town, Greenville, Mississippi. And the ad was, you know, we play war games and D&D. &D. So I thought, oh, hey, I'll go up there. And I went up there, a bunch of 25, 35-year-old guys, and, you know, eventually I invited, I invited my friend Ben, whom y'all have met, um, and some others, and I learned how to play D&D &D there. And it kind of bugs me when some people say, I hate gaming with kids, I don't want kids at my table, because if they had felt that way about a snotty little 11-year-old or 12-year-old like me coming up there, I may not have ever gotten into gaming, really. But, I mean, but don't, on the other hand, they didn't cut me slack, either. I went through the same, you know, loss of characters that any of the other guys did. It was a shark tank. But, you know, See, they didn't, they let me play, but they didn't cut me slack, which I think in the long term helped me as a gamer. Well, see, for me, I wasn't introduced to it as a game. It was, um, I would always play pretend. I was always, you know, Errol Flynn playing Robin Hood or the Lone Ranger chasing off bad guys or whatever. And somebody told me, hey, there's this game that you can actually resolve problems. Because, you know, in pretend, you always get into the, I shot you, you shot me, I shot you, whatever. <laughs> and so they have this game that resolves that problem. So I went into it with the, the idea that it's a new version of pretend and there's rules involved. And it turns out you still get the same arguments. So. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I, I'm laughing because when I was 11 to 12, is like after I first started playing D&D, some of my cousins came over and we were playing pretend. And I had to say, I'm sorry, we're going to have to stop and roll a die. 
Because <laughs> it was like after D&D, I just couldn't. Oh, awesome. I had to have some sort of random randomizer to, to continue the pretend. I'm sorry, guys. This is too unbelievable. Let me check this. <laughs> <laughs> I've got to make a saving throw. Let, let, let me yeah, get you out. <laughs> let me roll well, a D20 to see if I'm going to chase you and give you a bruise. <laughs> and I remember, remember, I had chits, so I had to use yeah. D6s. So. But see, I didn't even realize it was a game. I thought it was just like a game, or it was like a, a rule system for pretend. So it was a long time before I ran into other gamers and realized, sort of oh. 101, really. Yeah. And the thing is, then rules became ridiculously cumbersome and complicated. And I know that sounds awful, because about then was first edition, and everybody was starting to really roll out the numbers. So it went it went into wargaming after it had been for essentially role playing for me for so long. So, well, if you if you've looked at the the history of wargaming and then role playing. Both of them have a similarity in that it veers between rules light and rules heavy every decade or so. It's like sometimes, you know, because wargaming started with the little Avalon Hill, you know, the board war games. Started with Avalon Hill, you know, you play a game, Battle of the Bulge or Gettysburg in an hour or two. But by the mid-70s, they were making the monster games where, you know, suggested playing time, 24 to 36 hours. Like, yeah. Who like you didn't love that. that long? Yeah. <laughs> what? I feel like you didn't love that. I'm sure in college you're like, hey, you want to play Risk this month? <laughs> Dude. <laughs> Ben and I would say, hey, let's play Third Reich. <laughs> By the time we had it set up, we didn't want to play anymore. That happened. Times. <laughs> so, you know, so, it's yeah. funny, though. Uh, it was really Wargamers that got me back into role playing. Because, and not because, oh, it was so terrible, but I went to my uh, first con uh, out in California, Dundracon, and I ran into, first thing in the morning, I got up. Came down and they're playing uh, 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 Dawn Patrol and um, oh, the chariot game, uh, Circus Imperium. And these guys are great fun. Like, just all around guys who want to battle and have fun and talk about movies. And then later on, they're like, hey, let's play some DD. It's like, oh, DD, so old now. It's, you know, the 90s. <laughs> <laughs> like, no, no, it's great. We'll play it. You'll love it. It was fun. It was just fun. Dawn uh, Patrol was written in the mid '70s too. Oh yeah, well no, it's just that these guys were, <laughs> these guys were serious war gamers, but they they were gamers. I think it really is a better way mm -hmm. to say it. They gotten beyond the initial war gaming poo pooing of role playing games, I guess. Yeah, it was it was just hey, we like battle gaming, and now we're gonna role play, and you know we'll shoot water guns at each other later. Whatever's <laughs> gonna happen, we'll just do that. Well, and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, there's people who war game. Role-playing games and LARP. You know. Yeah. But back to gaming styles. Sorry. Um, do, do any of you think you have a particular gaming style that is either old school or... Well, for what is old school and new school gaming? Is it more or less just what I said? Would any of the rest of you like to make a contribution? Well, there are styles and there are rules and there's a, a Venn diagram area where they overlap. Uh, old school would be not staring at your uh, character sheet trying to figure out what you're going to do next because there's nothing there like, you know, all your 20 different skills you have. That's more old school, right? 
Yeah. Yeah, you're you're extrapolating, I would say. But that does come from the rules in part because there's less there's more you would role play things, you know. You don't have to make an agility check to climb up a ladder, you know. Mm-hmm. You just climb up the ladder. And if it's something tricky, you explain to the DM what you do, and he says yay and a, or let's roll a die. It's, it's more improvisational, old school. Yeah, well, when we were at the Minicon, Bad Mike was talking about a friend of his that tried to get swords and wizardry going at a, a Fort Worth gaming store. And some of the some of the quote-unquote newer gamers, you know, for the next past five years or so came in, and they wanted to play. And so he set it up for them and tried to get it, you know, did character generation, etc. And at least two of them ended up walking away because they just couldn't wrap their brain. I can't do anything. There's nothing on my character sheet. I don't have any abilities to do anything. And as the DM, he's kind of going, look, just tell me what you're doing and I'll tell you if it works or not. You know, if it's uncertain, we'll make a roll. But use your, you know, just come in. He couldn't do it. I can I can I can be a bastard about it in a nice way. This ha- just happened at GaryCon where I had a guy at one of my tables who's started every sentence with "Can I do blah blah blah," and I'm like, "You can do anything you want. Tell me what you want to try. Tell me what you do, and we'll figure out whether or not it works." And you know, I guess he was from you know used to a different style of play, and it took him most of four hours to get the hang of starting in sentences with "I want to do this." Instead of can I asking me asking me as the judge for permission to do something? So yeah, uh, it's I suppose it's a top down as opposed to a bottom up style of game. Well, Jim, that's that's kind of where I I noticed I started not liking D and D when people because uh, <laughs> this sounds like I'm going to insult you. Let me try it a better way. <laughs> I can take it. Go ahead. Well, no, no, no. Uh, I have. A lot of people, they'll say, you know, like, me and Dave are notorious for, like, hey, let's swing from the chandelier and dive off of this and, you know, grab the princess and go running and do just anything we want to do because it's fun. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, there's a lot of DMs who will go, yeah, you can do anything you want, but I'm going to penalize you and it's going to be impossible and you're basically going to fail. And I don't mind failing something that's actually impossible, but when it should be something that, is basically just a, a dramatic add-on to the the show or the feel of it. Uh, that that always bugged me. That's that's something that really where I, I lost it from the. I guess the rules mongering of the old school. When it, you're, when I think what you're just talking about is bad DM because you. Yeah. There's there's a there's a there's an implied trust relationship between the players and the DM, and as a DM, well, we've completely jumped to the second half of the show now. I'm sorry, sorry, sorry. We can go back. We can um, go back. <laughs> no, is is to is to to present situations that are fun to solve, right, and to mediate the action, not guide the action. Do you see the difference? The, the player agency still has to be there, and and that and and. That's part of the trusting relationship. So it's not my job as a judge to tell you you can't do something or if you insist on doing it to penalize you. It is my job to try and educate in an impartial way what the natural results of that action would be. And and, 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 and I have the prejudice you talked about in reverse. If it, if it helps the storyline, sometimes I'll let rules slide. Yeah, that's something in Victorious. I'm, I, one of the baselines I try to set is the dice should only be used when there is a significant chance of failure. Hmm. Um, 
it's far better to run the game where you know if there's not much of a chance of failure or it's not a huge deal they want to do something let them do it in the end it's always easier it's better to let a player do something and have it succeed than to get bogged down in well you know there's a modifier and a countersign and you you had a beer this morning so that's going to be a negative two and you know just or as steve chenault put it once when asked how does he resolve a swimming check he said i roll a die behind my screen so that the player thinks i rolled something if it's important for the story for him to get across he does it if it doesn't he doesn't you know i'm I'm concerned that liz doesn't have an opinion about this (laughs) yeah i've been waiting for her to kind of jump in no 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 you guys are fine i don't have a lot of i don't have a lot of stories about my old school gaming experiences because well normally i was i was the dm and i was feeling my way along based on what was contained in the Holmes basic book. And so when we were first gaming, it was, there was not a lot of role playing involved. You know, it was, this is what you see, this is what happens. And, you know, the players would say, you know, this is what the fighter does. You know, very much like the you know, the stuff that they would have, the examples with, you know, one person acting as the caller, and a lot of the descriptives were in third person, because that was what the example showed. But that's a play style. Yeah, and mm-hmm. so that was what we started with. And so, I guess, our quote-unquote old school, it was, it was much more tactical than it was role play, because... It was, everything was very third person. You know, the fighter is going to do this. And there was no question of, well, does the fighter know that such and such is here? Or, you know, the, this fighter character should not be aware that goblins have only one hit die or whatever. You know, that never came up. You know, it was all very tactical and it was, you know, this is what needs to happen for the best result. This is what we do. Um, didn't really start getting into actual role playing and character development until I started actually being able to purchase a couple of more modules. And you actually started getting into, you know, backstories of characters what's going on in this particular town that they go into. And so that was when it started occurring to us, hey, we can actually add some storytelling elements into this. This is pretty cool. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But talking about, you know, what Jim and Corbett are discussing about the relationship between DMs and players, I think that has a lot to do with what someone's old school or original game style turns out to be too, because sometimes you are at a table where there is an adversarial relationship between the DM and the players. You Mm -hmm. know, we've all heard stories about DMs who 
seem to deliberately set out to try to kill all of their players' characters. You know, that is their goal. And the players at the table feel like the DM is out to get them. And so you have a very different play dynamic in that situation than you do where there is a feeling of trust and camaraderie between the players and the DM. So I think that does make a really big difference with what a play style winds up becoming. Yeah. And uh, I do find it interesting because you, you were talking about the tactical uh, method of play when you started up. With the Delta Area Wargamers, even though they were a whole bunch of wargamers, from the beginning, our DM, HL, required any conversation to be first person. He would take on the personality of the bartender or the orc or whatever, and we had to basically improv theater it from the get-go. And that's really where I learned my DMing style from. And... Which just goes to show, even back in 1979, you know, they had those people out there. Well, that's part of the truth, too. You you imprint on whoever was your first DM, and that's who you, I mean, it's like your parents. How do you parent? Well, you start out parenting just like you were parented. Mm-hmm. And I think we've mentioned on the show before that nothing is worse for players who are used to one style, and then they get into a game, and suddenly it's the other style. And they feel flat-footed. Yeah, we've talked about that before at cons, it, where it takes a light touch if you f- suddenly figure out you've got somebody there that's not comfortable with a certain, like, yeah. being forced to speak in the first person. Mm-hmm. Can I uh, bore you with a bit of a short story of my worst game ever played? Sure. Sure. Go ahead. As long as well, it's not because of us. No, no, no. No, those were great games whenever I was playing with you guys. And Kevin, <laughs> you know the old group. Oh, yeah. But um, me and Dave, uh, I moved away for a while. And when I came back uh, for a visit, he he knew of a game one night. And we, we went out to go to it. And it's... Um, it's like an AD&D game. I think it was like mid-90s. I don't remember the exact day. And I really don't even know the house or the person because he knew them and I didn't. But he's like, hey, we, there's a game. We can hop in. It'll be great. We showed up. They were totally inviting and let us in. So it was fine. And it was a really big group, though. It was like 10 or 12 players. So very large. Mm-hmm. And um, they handed me a, a cleric. It's like, hey, you can play the cleric. Great. <laughs> so it was like a second-level cleric, I think. And uh, Dave was handed a, a thief. I'm pretty sure it was a second-level thief. And everybody else was about fifth level in the group. So, whatever. No, it's fine. Because the the thing that happened that I first noticed is the the, uh, G, the GM has a girlfriend who he's trying to impress in the group who's playing the tumbling ninja cavalier <laughs> whatever. <laughs> Acrobat. <laughs> I think yeah. I read this issue of Knights of the Dinner Table, but go on. No, no, it was it was, uh, it was totally ridiculously real, and Dave will attest to it. But uh, we start playing, and we get into a bottleneck where, like a a bunch of orcs are trying to come out of a hallway at us, and everybody's clogged up at the front. And with twelve people at the table, we're way at the back of the map. I have a hand to hand weapon and no ranged. And he basically has darts. So once every three to five minutes, me and him get a turn. 
and it goes back around. So me and Dave are way on the other end of the table, and they're constantly going through what the Cavalier is jumping over or flipping over for three or four turns. And then it gets around to us, and we'll do whatever we can. And in the meantime, me and Dave just decide to sit there, and I just talk about my character. Like, well, I'm probably a naive cleric because I'm just out of the, the mission or whatever and figuring things out. I'm like, oh, you're naive, huh? Well, I'm a savvy thief who, you know what? I think we should play some cards. Like, I shouldn't play cards. That's against whatever. And um, we get into this whole role-playing bit where he eventually tricks me into playing cards and starts taking my money. And we pantomime the whole <laughs> thing and never roll a single thing. And we're totally by ourselves. And every three minutes, they'll say, hey, your turn. What do you do? I try to heal somebody. Does anybody need healing? Nope. Then I sit here because <laughs> yeah. I don't know what to do. And he's like, I throw a dart. And then he goes off. And then the thing is, the, the guy who was playing the ranger right beside us was getting annoyed because we kept chortling and doing our little bit. And... Oh, waiting for our turn to come around. Having fun? How dare you? No, no, this is this is the best line, and it's totally. It sounds like I scripted it, <laughs> but it couldn't be better. He eventually gets frustrated, turns to us, and says, "What are you guys doing?" I'm like, well, we're just playing, uh, playing a little around and having a little fun. It's like, well, we're not here to have fun. We're here to play a game. <laughs> and everybody else in the room turns and looks mad at us because we're. You know, disruptive. We're not here to have fun. We're here to play a game. That is awesome. Four <laughs> word. After that, me and Dave were kind of gun shy of a lot of D and D because the the groups were kind of like that. After then, they were very we're doing this, and I, that that's a good example of multiple types of styles going at once. And when when you don't mix in, because I know they're having fun, and I was trying to essentially have my own fun with Dave. And it didn't work well, out. You weren't bothering anyone. I mean, it wasn't uh, you know spoiling anyone else's fun. So what the hell? What's the problem? The the guys in that group might have been dicks, but that's what you described is bad DMing. Because at some <laughs> point, the DM should have recognized that you guys were sitting down there feeling disenfranchised and a little bit left mm -hmm. out of the a action, and found a way to draw you in, so you could well, maybe. not well, be bored. Well, you realize, too, this is just my own telling of the story. I'm sure somebody else is like, oh, these idiots are coming in and constantly yammering in the background, and we were really focusing on this. They're so having I, fun. They, they were, no, they were playing a game. No, no, I, was <laughs> saying, no I, I was saying they were complaining about you and Dave. They're back there having fun. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I just think the quote was... Oh, yeah, that's a brilliant quote. <laughs> I don't know how he said that and meant it, and it was everybody else was backing him up. So we, after that, we shut up. We sat there. We rolled our dice on our turn, and we went at pizza. It's pretty, it's pretty Doctor Strange love, gentlemen. You can't fight in here. This is the war room. <laughs> <laughs> What's yeah. wrong with you? But talking about different play styles, you know, I talking about you know whether or not your what your characters would think for a while, and I think I even do that depending on the game system. Now I still do it, but the idea of I. I've got a character, and I think of something, well, this would be a great way of handling this situation, but would my character think of it? So I have, I will make my own intelligence or wisdom check and just to see, you know, would my character think about it? The DM's not requiring me to do it at all. Um, I'm just doing it on my own because... I want to try to keep it in a nice medium between player knowledge and RPing. And I've known several people that will, are willing to do that. But then I've also seen people, you know, gamed with people who look at us like we're idiots. You know, like, what are you doing? You know, like, well, I'm, I've come up with this cool idea. 
well, yeah, okay, let's do it. Well, I'm not sure my character would know how, would think of that, though. See, I think the ultimate role-playing challenge is to sit there and try and conceive what you as a player want to do in terms of what the character could do. Because that's the way you would write the story, right? There would be the lovable goof-off sidekick who's dumb as a rock who would somehow trip and fall into the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. That's a great way to look at that, is how to how to make what you want happen based on what your character does. That's hard to do, though. I'll, 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 I mean, I'm, I'm not saying that what you're talking about isn't kind of awesome in its own way, too. Yeah, and I think in a way, a lot of people try to find a middle ground, um, I know there are extremes, like there are people who say, you know, story trumps everything. Even, you know, if, if it doesn't make sense for anyone to die in this scenario and the dice say you, you, one of your characters are killed, well, you're just not because, you know, the story wouldn't be cool if that happened. Um, personally, I don't like that because if there's not any danger to the character, then the game loses something to me. It's, are we really doing adventure or are we having, are we sitting around and having an episode of Seinfeld? You know, it's, it's an adventure game. There should be some risk. If it's not bodily injury, then maybe, you know, lose gold or armor or just, you know, something has to be at risk. Otherwise there's not that excitement. Now it doesn't have to be constant, but there has to be something in the background for me as a player. I think you also have to be careful you know, as a DM. Don't craft a storyline where everything important hinges on a particular character. Because then you do feel like you're hamstrung if that character gets into a situation where they should be dying right now because... They rolled badly. It's like, but if they die, this totally screws up my campaign idea. You know, you've got to make sure that you don't have any of your players' characters be so integral to the storyline that you've got going that if something happens to them, you know, you've dead-ended everything. That's a that's a good idea for the DM section, mm-hmm. which unless, uh, does anyone have? Have anything else to say about the player section? We can go ahead into DM Fiat. All right, let's go into DM Fiat then. Where we'll think of all the player things we wanted to say, but didn't. That's, <laughs> that's why I was giving everyone an option. Anyway. Okay, DM Fiat. We're going to talk about, uh, well, <laughs> like Jim said, we'll talk about player things now. <laughs> now we will talk about player things. We will try to emphasize the DM side. Well, you but know, it, this really kind of ties in with what Jim was talking about way, way, way earlier. The the integral part between players and, and game master or da- dungeon masters is is a dance. Everybody's part of the game just as much as you're running it is just as much as they're running it because they can lead your story way off cue and you have to dance along with them to make sure it keeps moving. Yeah, really, if you want to know how good a judge I am, you shouldn't ask me. You should get my players on and have them tell you what their experience is. I, I, I do make an effort to aim for the middle, where they, where there's an understanding that in, I'm not out to screw them, but if they do something dumb and the dice don't fall their way, they will die. I think my players know that, and not in an, and it's not adversarial. Does that make sense? Yeah, 
No, I, I would like to think my CNC players right now feel that way. Because for the longest time, I would roll out in front. Because I didn't want them to think I was I was fudging one way or the other. And if I ever get that set of Braille polyhedrals where we kickstarted, maybe I'll start doing that again. But... Um, because <laughs> rolling in front and having Liz tell you, that's... that's <laughs> well, now that we're gaming at our house, at our house, everybody's at the dining room table, but I'm set up on the bar in the kitchen. Ooh, all Gary Gygax style, up on high. Because where my my that's where I can set up my laptop and everything. And so if I roll my dice there, Liz has to get out of her chair, walk over to tell me what the number was. So, wow, so you're that, literally that's judging. why I don't do it. <laughs> that, that's why I don't do it so much anymore. Um, and. If we do get those polyhedrals where I can roll and, you know, anybody can see as well as myself figure out what was rolled, then, you know, if anyone wants to double check me. But I just got derailed. I was making a point and I lost the, it. The, the so, players oh. trust that you're not out to screw them, but if they do something dumb and the dice fall, oh, right, fall, fall right. the wrong way. Yeah, and where I was going with it was that, for instance, our DM Chase has always been a big... Give us a huge quest, and the campaign is about us stopping the evil, killing the baddie, saving the kingdom, blah, blah, blah. Well, for the most part, as a DM, I prefer to give options for the characters to go one way or the other way or do this or don't do this. And I think, with the exception of Liz, I think everybody's kind of floundering a bit in the CNC campaign because they're used to being had basically handed a grand quest and i don't game like that so it's again it's a matter of style not one isn't bad or you know better or worse it's just the differences between our games well that's absolutely style is it sand are we running a sandbox campaign which is almost a mark of the campaign has finally evolved into a true campaign it's not just us meeting every week and i present you here's this week's adventure you've got yeah. stuff you already want to do in a sandbox because the campaign grew that way well i mean the whole idea is i got the party together by having a malfunctioning monster summoning scroll take them all out of a tavern on one side of the campaign world and drop them in Tejo manor on the other side they mostly got out alive except for one of liz's characters um and one of chase's but other than trying maybe to get back to Haven, there's no plot. You know, there's no obligation for them to. They must go do blah. So instead, I'm giving them these different options. Like, well, you know, there's some exploring of old pirate hideout ruins on these islands. There's a town here that would like to hire you and give you a place to live in return if you'll help deal with some monster problems. Or, and but it's up to them. Do they want to take that or do they not? That's a style of play that's harder today than it was when we were kids because we don't, as at our age, we don't have the same amount of free time. Yeah. And it's just so much easier to just, dare I, dare I say, adventure path the whole campaign. Well, up until this point, um, we've gotten to the point now in this campaign where virtually all of the original characters who were taken from that tavern in Haven are all dead. 
there's only two of those people left in our group. Everybody else, you know, we've all brought in new characters that have come in from elsewhere. So there's really not a huge incentive now to travel to Haven anymore because only two of us out of the group even came from there in the first place now. So I don't know what we're going to wind up doing anymore as a group. Um, there used to be this big goal to get back there, but now it's more or less gone for most of us. And we're like, yeah, whatever, we can go there. <laughs> and that makes me sound really lethal, but honestly, it's just how the dice have gone. <laughs> I was as surprised as anyone, because I had everybody start off with two characters each, because I expected it to be kind of lethal, but, but wow. Well, you did drop them right into a Judges Guild product, and you, well, you, you can't screw around in those. You could watch yeah, your ass. Yeah, only two of them died there, though, out of the eight. Yeah, it's so, so embarrassing to say he died via bowling ball, though. It was a cursed bowling ball of murderland but <laughs> still it sounds goofy <laughs> it's no. like yes i was killed by a by a horrible white think like, nope <laughs> well and talking <laughs> about a difference between old and new school tejo manor there are no plot hooks there there's no list of how to get the characters involved there is you know you got the guy rudimus rump or whatever who is desperate to get rid of the deed and like sell it for a gold piece or something, the deed to the whole mansion, but you got to go clear it out. I always pictured him as being played by the same actor that played Mr. Roper in Three's Company. I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> I thought more of Dom DeLuise, but yeah, I could have worked with that too. Norman Fell um, is a classic. <laughs> so, but again, can you imagine getting a module today which didn't have at least two or three different plot hooks to get, a char get characters involved? I, I, I mean... This is even my personal, this is a little trick I've picked up where I like to write the introduction of an adventure because a lot of them are tilted for con play and one-offs. I, I, you know, the read aloud text is your characters were kidnapped, you know, and land here, which is mm -hmm. the other extreme. Yeah. And of course, a lot of those were, turn at least back in the day, were tournament modules too. So there wasn't any, you know, the idea of you're all kidnapped by the king and basically told he'll go kill these giants or he'll kill you you know that was just okay yeah let's get going for the tournament but when you try to put that into real play or, or that infamous a4 module for a it's ad and d taco that's kind of funny you mentioned that because gagman is almost like entirely storied we rarely talk about like the minuscule thing or the minutia of and there's a monster kill it because I know you're going to do that. I know you're going to roll up random stuff along the way, and I know the adventure's still going to have stuff. But having the, I guess, the gesture of, and you're moving this direction, is kind of nice for a lot of players to know where they're heading. Although, there is something to be said for just like, and here's a, here's a room, start going. I think you just defined a third style of play. Corbett, because oh. there's there's old school, there's new school, and and you, what you're kind of hinting around at is a postmodern approach. Gag school. <laughs> oh well, I'm that, sure. That Call it what you, like a bad school. Call it what you want, but you know, <laughs> I, it, 
it's not necessarily new school. It's more postmodern in that there are all these assumptions and implications assumed as soon as you sit down at the table. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Well, you'll adapt whatever story to whatever you're doing. That's why we never go into a lot of the details that, that, you know, you should know. If you're running a game, you know how to roll up monsters. You know how to go dig up the monster manual and throw things at them constantly. But it's nice to have a reason. You know, it's a... why is there 400 kobolds in a 10 by 10 room? I don't know. <laughs> ducks. Go <laughs> ask kobolds. If you left one alive, you might find out. <laughs> Why are there boxes of snakes everywhere? <laughs> Although, um, that makes a good uh, segue into this part of it. Do you change your DM style depending on what game you're running? Mm. Or setting, because I I judge setting. I judge completely differently at a con than I do in my home campaign, and I tell people at the con game that I'm doing it. I'm like, this is a point where I would normally torture my players to death with a lot of abstract descriptions of the artifact you just found. But we're at a con; we've only got two hours left. You got the Dazer pistol. Do you want to roll the artifact roll on it? You know, <laughs> stuff like that to get through it because you don't have time at a con. Good point. Yeah. Well, I mean, and D and D as a fantasy game. You know, it has its own particular style of play. I have played like Fantasy Hero or talk about old, uh, the Fantasy Trip by Metagaming. And there's just a, I have a different paradigm. Those games, I just, you just can't play the same way, I don't think, or run it in my case. I think it's a good point, but it's kind of a stretchy point, because like 5e, you can run old school or new school either way with the same rules. But you might approach it with a different idea. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, I would agree with that, and that's one of the things I like about 5e, is it's, you know, if I don't like it by the book, it's at least very modularized, so I could make it the way I wanted to. Mm. Um, but Call but, of Cthulhu, you're going to stay the hell away from any spellbook you find. Right, right. And Where are the books? You're not going to have, well, Corbett might, but I'm not <laughs> going to have weird, goofy, thing, funny things happening in the middle of a Call of Cthulhu game. Um, About boxes full of snakes. <laughs> well, yeah, of course. <laughs> and they're hilarious. As, you know, the people <laughs> run around with snakes you know, biting into their faces. Yeah, that's that's great. Um, well, a rule system really defines the way it feels when you start playing. And then your personal touch changes that as it goes. Because like um, uh, Star Wars, the D6 system plays really fun and fast like the movies. Well, the, the first three movies did. And um, <laughs> Whereas the, the uh, Wizards of the Coast version, which is like the D20 version, mm. plays a lot like the uh, prequel trilogy did. Very stoic, very... Um, level to level. Um, I mean, it feels like D&D, but it plays Star Wars. Mm -hmm. um, actually, my best example I always point out is Star Trek. Uh, Star Trek's Fasa plays similar to Call of Cthulhu, where you're solving a mystery. It's all about skills. Because really, when you have a weapon that disintegrates people, what else can you be afraid of? You can't get too detailed into combat. You're shot, you're dead. You're either stunned or you're dead. Basically. <laughs> but see, in the new Star Trek they made from Unicorn Games, it uses a D6 system, which is like Star Wars, and that would be ridiculous. When could you ever see Star Trek run as a big blast em, shoot 'em shoot-em-up? That would be silly. <laughs> Any, anything directed by J.J. Abrams. 
Let's let's not go into it. Or, or prior to 1965, 66. Yeah. Whenever they canceled the classic track. Nope. Yeah. That, that, those were pretty brilliant examples, Corbett. Da, 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 well, da, I, those da, are rule da. systems that I love. This I love the the worlds, but I'll go into the rules and suddenly it changes everything. So, uh, would you say it's more the rules or the campaign setting? I mean, is it the rules of BRP that makes Call of Cthulhu Call of Cthulhu, or is it the eldritch, the unknowable horror of Lovecraft? Okay, let me ask you this: Could you run a serious, a deadpan serious Call of Cthulhu using Toon? Because I know I could run a Toon version of Call of Cthulhu using. Toon. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, that's... I don't. I don't remember that much enough about Toon to make an honest answer. My gut says no, but I'm trying to think. Well. Unless it was just the rule you never died. I mean, but then, of course, death is only one of the possible problems you can have in Call of Cthulhu. You got insanities. That's true. Are you asking if you could do it, or are you asking if it's a good idea? <laughs> That's a good point, too. Because, uh, I mean, you could... Con- I mean, I'd, I'd turn my Mutant Crawl Classics game into Bunnies and Burrows, you know, by flipping a switch. <laughs> Your minds have been transported back through time into bunny bodies. It's the 21st century. Go and hear your sheets. <laughs> did that change your style of play actually when you did that? Because you actually ran that. I know. Uh, it, it didn't change my style. Uh, it threw the players for enough of a loop that it was great fun. But no, I mean because there's a, there was that relationship and trust already established between me and them. They they. And they knew what they wanted to do, so immediately their their bunnies are not worried about bunnies and burrows things. They're building dirt ramps to get over the electric fence to j- break into the house to get the computer files out of the computer. Mm-hmm. So then the style didn't really have an effect as much. With the because does anybody have any remember? Do you ever change oh, the rules during a Liz, game? Sorry, you were saying something. Oh, I was just going to say. Well, here's two other um, games that are both uh-huh. technically science fiction. You have um, Metamorphosis Alpha, and you have Traveler. Mm. Um, I think you would. I think you would have a different feel to a sci-fi game using MA rules than you would having, say, the exact same game using the Traveler rules. That's brilliant. Yeah. Mm. yeah. You know, take the sure. exact same scenario, but just change the, the rule set that you're using to run it. I think it does make a difference with how Combat the game so feels. Different. Yeah. I mean, I yeah. definitely play things lighter and lighthearted. So I tend to shy away from Call of Cthulhu and play more Star Trek because I know I can get away with my funny quips and stuff. But I know that it's embarrassing whenever I try to do something serious because everybody usually know, knows me and they expect funny and silly. So I'll stand there and try to be all stoic and serious and it does not work too well. But that's because I'm me. Well, so back to... <laughs> I mean, we're all... I'm as handicapped by my playstyle preferences and the prejudices that lie therein as anyone. I mean, I can't stand Call of Cthulhu. And yet, I will sign up to play endless rounds of Dungeon Crawl Classics uh, character fights. Well, Call of Cthulhu is a great example of like an extreme difference in gaming. I mean, I, I think it's just—it's a very dark, very it's mysterious. It's the first literary. Well, 
Yeah, I was going to say, well, but, you know, D&D was at least inspired by Fritz Lieber and Howard, etc. But I think Call of Cthulhu may have been the first RPG where the story trumped anything else. Mm-hmm. And, you know, character survivability was definitely second place. Actually, have any of you ever tried to do troop-style play? Like they, they introduced in... Um vampire-like games, let's not yeah. mention it directly. Liz and I played some vampire back during the 90s. I said don't mention it directly! <laughs> <laughs> like we're fooling anyone. Well, no, I was just wondering, because I've often thought that would be a really fun way to do um, uh, D&D, where you have multiple groups that are in different sections of the world playing different parts of the story that are affecting the other groups in different ways. Oh. But I never have so, seen like, that done. My brother so, did it. Kind of organized play? Not, not organized play as much as... I mean, you've played multiple characters before. but Oh, so you played... mean the same group of players playing different characters at different yeah. times in different portions. I thought you were trying to say several groups of different players all playing in the same story arc. No, no, well, yes, it's several different characters, but they're all like one group playing different versions. Okay, yeah, because if you're looking at several groups, they're going to screw up your story real quick. <laughs> it's Darn just what players, players do. That's their job. <laughs> well, the, sorry, Jim. You said you your brother. The, did. the first one, my brother did, just because he, I was in college when I found D and D, brought it back to our hometown to him, and so his first campaign was with his high school buddies. But he also ran the same campaign for me and my college friends, and then there was a third group. When both those groups were busy, he went to the library posters and brought guys that would have been the equivalent of your and Liz's age, Mike. And so he was running three groups in his campaign, and and sometimes we were in the same parts of the continent, and sometimes we weren't. But what we did, the, I they uh, I accidentally cloned my magic user because I was panicked as Modius was going to come s- steal my soul from a bad as draw. As we are all are often feel. Well, it was bad draw from the deck of many things, and me being paranoid, so I created a clone of my magic user and then forgot about him, and that was another group unconnected to me's bad guy that they chased for years. <laughs> when, when, that, when that guy woke up and flipped chaotic evil, he took off and became a villain in the campaign. And, you know, the, the, the high school boys fought him. I think the closest thing I've ever come to doing multiple storylines of the same group was um, essentially generational story, where uh, we'd start off as young adventurers, then jump ahead several levels and tell a story then that involves something that happened previously, and then jump ahead several levels again to tell something else that happened several adventures before and tied all together about three or four adventures in. But that's sort of a non, non-linear non campaign, I guess. Yeah. Not so much a troop style where, where you're jumping around from story to story. Biggest feather I have in my judge cap is I pulled off a time travel story where I got the players to play for four hours and loop back to their starting place, and they met themselves exiting the adventure at the beginning. <laughs> and I no, managed, and I and I managed to close the loop. <laughs> I was sweating bullets doing it too. That is pretty scary when that you mess is. with that kind of time loop. <laughs> <laughs> but awesome when you can pull it off. Okay, well, any last comments on playstyles we want to hit before wrapping this sucker up? Uh, I'm good. Mm, I'm really wishing you had invited Dave on this instead because he would have been much more argumentative for you. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, we'll invite Dave next. Uh, you're welcome. <laughs> I like Le- Lieutenant Victory. <laughs> okay, well, well I'd just like to point out that 
you're all wrong and I'm right. So <laughs> on that, yeah, we'll uh, I know you're just here to play the game. <laughs> <laughs> Stop having fun. Save that for the emails. This episode is going to get. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which all right thinking gamers should use. Uh-huh. It does change the feel of a game, honestly. And was paid for by Iron Wind Metals. <laughs> Just kidding. All right, well, we head down the long-abandoned dusty road into the future with our Bill Bixby music playing in the background. Wow, it's like it's brand new again. It's been so long. It's new season. New season. <laughs> Yeah, we'll have to use our other thumbs or something. And how are you heading down the road, Corbett? Oh, I'm uh, pushing a push broom and just having fun, but not playing the game. (laughs) (laughs) (sighs) I tell you. How about you, Jim? I'm going down the road in the third person, so Jim is going down the road. (laughs) (laughs) Excitingly looking forward to editing this episode and getting it up. And Liz? Well, I I am also going down the road in the third person, but I'm depending on my caller to inform you <gasps> of what mine. I am doing. <laughs> Brad, he stole mine. Yeah, well, Jim stole mine, so... <laughs> <laughs> Mike, you can be the caller. <laughs> what, are we, what are we doing? How are we going down the road? Uh, First roll the dice. I- I've decided we're going down the road not having fun. Because <laughs> we're here to play a game. Fight. Ah, and I'm having a deep existential crisis over, over giving more than two five gradings. So, grump, grump, grump. And we'll see everybody at episode 121. I think I'm going to start saying free arc now. <laughs> it's like free bird. It's, it's like half the, the arc. <laughs> Definitely have the arc. Uh, Wait, should we be saying right, goodbye? Well, yeah, we're saying goodbye. <laughs> okay. This is it, dude. Bye. Goodbye. <laughs> goodbye, everyone. Goodbye. Free arc. Ding a ding a ding 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 ding. <laughs> and we're out. <laughs> Saberdive Podcast is a production of Wild Games Productions in association with D20Radio.com. The Saberdive theme music is provided by the band Mississippi Bones. You can find them at MississippiBones.Bandcamp.com. The Saberdive Podcast Season 7 premiere will be available for digital download just as soon as we can schedule the next recording session. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Save or Die. Like the only reason they did it was to check off a box so they could say we've got a minority type character as one of the main heroes. And that was the only reason they did it. And, and that bugs be, me. The thing will be gay and Reed Richards will be a transgender. Good, you got them all. Yeah. Could actually, Reed Richards could actually do that anytime he wanted. I know, that's why I was that's why I, I left it for him. But, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's too late, I saw the heat